chapter 19, 28 to 44. Jesus, the coming king. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I want to make a comment before we read this. This is the triumphal entry, but we're not going to preach it. See, I paused like that in the first service, and a couple heads were, I mean, you're not going to preach it. What are you going to do? What are you saying? I'm not going to preach it like we do Palm Sunday in a triumphal entry. This just flows in the context of how we've been reading Scripture. It is the triumphal entry. We'll touch on a few points, but we're going to look at it a little differently. We're going to look at it from a different perspective because it isn't Palm Sunday. We're not going to talk about palm fronds and those things. We're going to look at it from a little different perspective, and I think you'll be pleased by the time we get to the end. I've been working on this one for a long time because I knew that this was coming, and it had nothing to do with Easter week, you know, that Passion Week. But we're going to preach it, and we're going to see something in there that uh, maybe you haven't seen before. And hopefully it'll be a blessing to your heart. Jesus, the coming king. Note that the parallel accounts, listen to me, this is in all four accounts. Matthew 21, Mark 11, John 12, and right here, 19 of Luke. You don't see all these events in all four Gospels. You see, they're all important, but this is obviously critical. This is key. So you see it in all four accounts. They're all a little bit different, a little different take. But this one here, we're going to focus on a little bit differently. Okay, ready? Here we go. Hear now the word of God. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, and may God add his rich blessing to his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Let's pray. Father, we are here by divine design, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that All, in the sound of my voice, would be saved. Father, give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come 
now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Three headings. One, two, three, right in a row. Jesus, the coming king. We're going to look at God's revelation. Number two, the people's reception. And you're going to see two different aspects to the people's reception. And then finally, number three, Jesus' reply. And then what does that always do? What does that always do? Remember last week, every week, where I learned this, what is our response? Remember Dr. Ron last week in the traditional service? We have to respond. So Jesus' reply leads us to the response. Three things in every sermon that you need to hear. What are those three things? It's the same, no matter who's preaching. All over the world, what does the text say? What does the text mean? And what does the text require of me? If you just listen to a message and walk out and say, yeah, it was a good message or it wasn't that good, it doesn't matter. You must respond to the word of God for it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We respond to the word of God. So we're going to flow out of Jesus' reply right into our response in a very, very remarkable way. You ready? We're going to head out into some deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Number one. God's revelation, I'm just going to give you a portion of that first part of the passage, and we'll talk about it. Go to the village, Jesus said, and find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Okay, we've got to ask a few questions. What's up with this? Why is he riding a donkey? This doesn't make any sense. Well, it does. And again, understanding the ancient world context, we need that, tells us that kings rode war horses, and they rode donkeys, depending on what they were riding into. They were riding into battle, they rode war horses. If they rode in peace, they rode donkeys. That's what's happening here. So it should be a clear tip-off to what's in the mind and the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes first as what? The suffering servant. He comes in peace to conquer sin, Satan, and death. But he's coming back. And make no mistake, he'll be on a war horse. And when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and it will be too late. Today is a day of salvation. So today he comes in on a donkey. He comes in on a colt. So we, we understand. When the son of King David was anointed king, David said, put him on my mule. He told the prophet Nathan, put him on my mule, get the priest, and anoint him as the new king. So this is the cultural context in the ancient world. They rode donkeys for peace. Okay? If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Listen, we could preach a whole message on loosing the donkey. Because five times in this passage it talks about untying him. There's something going on there, but we have no time for that today. Perhaps another day. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord has need of it. Those sent ahead found it just as he told them and as they were untying it. Its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? There's a lot of that going on. They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Okay, so now we're going to see what? The revelation of God, the fulfillment of prophecy. Let me just make a quick point, because I often want to help you keep from being caught off guard. So I try to give you some little tidbits along the way. Somebody will say to you, if you use this prophecy, and this is your only prophecy that you have in your bag, it's not good, you have to have more than this one. But if you use this one, a skeptic, 
An unbelieving skeptic will say, well, what's the big deal with this prophecy? You say he knew the scriptures. He could quote the scriptures. He knew what Zechariah had written. So all he did was just fulfill it by getting on a donkey. You're right. He did. He knew it. That's why you need to know more than just this prophecy, right? But this is fulfilled 500 years before. Zechariah in 9.9 tells us what? Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. What is Jesus saying by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? I'm the king, and now I've come. You have to remember a couple things. The three years plus that he's doing all of these miracles and he's doing all of these amazing things and, and teaching the word of God, constantly he's doing this. Shh. This is the first time that he allows a public demonstration of what? Worship. He rece- So you can't say Jesus is a good man, a great prophet, an awesome teacher if he isn't God. For he received worship that is only reserved for God. And not only does he receive the worship, he participates in it by fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Okay? We see that, but now there's something more. There's always something more, yes? We always like to go a little deeper. Not just the fulfillment of prophecy. It goes deeper than that. I want you to see the foreshadow of peace. You know what the shalom of God is? That's coming. You don't have that yet today, right? You have peace. You have the the objectivity of peace, right? Peace is the first fruit of justification, so you have peace with God. But we really don't have that shalom of God. That's coming. When? When Jesus returns. The new heavens and the new earth. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In as much as this is not a phrase specifically in in the word of God, the principle is the lion will lie down with... uh, Lamb and children will play with poisonous snakes and not be bitten. What's going to happen? There will be the shalom of God. The shalom of God that existed in the Garden of Eden before sin will exist in the new heavens, in the new earth, only in a greater way because there will be no opportunity for sin at that point. Sin will have been done away with. So we see this foreshadow of the peace and the shalom of God. How? He's riding on a, 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 a baby donkey that has never been broken. You'll find a colt, which no, you, you have to stop for a minute. Nobody does that. Somebody's got to break the, the beast. You have to ride it. And not only that, what's, what's all around? What's the situation for him? You have this massive crowd, the commotion, and the cosmic calm. What is this a foreshadow of? The shalom of God. That little beast of burden should have been out of his mind. He should have been bucking Jesus off, running left and running right, and he's not. You don't hear a word of that. Why? He knows his master. He knows the creator. That little beast of burden is worshiping Jesus as they're coming down the slopes of the Mount of Olives. That's a picture of what's coming. It's not just every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The trees will clap and the heavens will shout. And everything that has been made by God will worship Him. Everything. That's this picture. So we see God's revelation. We see a a prediction that has been fulfilled. And we see a foreshadow of what is to come. 
the shalom. The, what is the one thing that you desire more than anything else? After you're his, isn't it not the shalom of God? Even the unbeliever says, what if I could just have a little bit of peace? I have nothing but burden in my life. My life is just filled with restlessness. One issue after another after another, we, we cry out for the peace of God. And that peace is coming. And this was a picture of it where everything will be submitted and surrendered to the control of God. That's the revelation. Now the people's reception. Ready? Back to the passage. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Again, cultural context is helpful. What is that? You've heard sermons before, but let's get into the context of it. Let's go back into the ancient world. Remember, there was no New Testament like we have. They had the Hebrew Bible. So let's go to the Hebrew Bible and let's see what we find in 2 Kings 9, 13. They took their cloaks and spread them under him on the steps. Then they blew the trumpet shouting, Jehu is king. Okay, so what, what, what's, what's happening? This is submission. This is surrender. This is control. Picture it this way, although they wouldn't do it like this, but picture the, the cloaks, the, the, the robes, and clo- picture them still on the body. And now where do they go? On the ground. To lay down underneath what? The Lord. His beast of burden, his feet. But you wouldn't keep the body in there because the animal would end up tripping and the king would stumble and fall and it wouldn't be good. So what do they do? In an act of utter submission and surrender, they take off their cloaks and they line the streets with them. And as the beast walks over the cloaks, what are they saying? Do with me as you will. I'm yours. I am surrendered to you, O king. So you see, this is, what's ha- this is the response. Now, how many people? Just a handful? Let me give you some background very briefly. Ten years later, ten years after the Lord Jesus was here, we read from Josephus, an Israelite, a Jewish historian that became a Roman historian. He writes in Antiquities that that Passover, that year, they sacrificed over 250,000 lambs. What does that mean to you? Let me tell you what it means. The average lamb was to feed a family of 10. If you didn't have 10, you'd combine the family. If you had more than 10, you'd have more than one lamb. If you're looking at 10 people per lamb and there's 250,000 lambs slain 10 years later, we're looking at over 2 million people who are in and around Jerusalem for the Passover. Do you understand what's going on here? This is not a small group of people. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they are praising, they are worshiping, they are submitting and surrendering to the Lord Jesus. You have to see the picture. You have to understand. Now, we can't talk about the stuff we normally do on Palm Sunday. We don't have any time. But just see the picture of what's happening with these people. Now, let's get inside their minds and see what they end up saying. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully. They're joyfully praising the Lord in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And now they're going to take this, and you'll see it in a moment. This is the halal. 
You know this. We've talked about this many times before. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What are they acknowledging? They're acknowledging out of Psalm 118.26. Take a look. Blessed is the he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a prayer of blessing for the coming messianic kingdom. Do you understand what this is? Do you understand what's actually taking place? We've talked about it many times. What's happening at the beginning of Passion Week? Passover... You remember Passover in the Old Testament? Sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over you. And they were freed from bondage in Egypt. So now Jesus, every Passover was this reminder, but now Jesus is coming as the king, riding on the donkey, fulfilling Zechariah. Everybody knew the fulfillment of Zechariah. He's riding in, and what are they thinking in their minds and in their hearts? They are reenacting in their minds what happened to their fathers, Many, many, many years earlier when they were freed from Egypt at the first Passover, and now they are anticipating what? Their freedom, their liberation from bondage to Roman rule. That's why they're at such a fevered pitch when he rides into the city. He's coming to release us from bondage. We will reestablish Israel as an independent nation, and the boot of Rome will be removed. So you understand what's happening. Because we can't get to the end of the week because it's not in the passage. We'll get to it later in Luke. But they go from Hosanna to crucify in less time than it would have taken for the palm fronds to go from green to brown. That's how quickly they turned on the Lord. And what do they say in Psalm 118.25, the verse before? O Lord, save us. Now, where's that? We don't have that here in this one, but we have it in Matthew. So let's go to Matthew real quick, 21.9. What does Hosanna mean? Save us now. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed said, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us now. What are they thinking of? They're not thinking of being saved from sin, Satan, and death. Save us from Roman oppression. Liberate us as our fathers were liberated from Egyptian rule and slavery and bondage. Come. You're here. We acknowledge you as king. Get Rome off of our backs. See it? Okay. Let's keep going to the reception because the reception isn't over. Then our final point. You have people praising? You have people worshiping? Jesus is receiving the worship? What is Jesus acknowledging? I am who I said I am. Don't call me a good prophet. Don't call me a great teacher. Don't do any of that. C.S. Lewis, right, gave us three options, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Call him one of the three. But he isn't good anything if he isn't God. And if he is God, then he's everything. So he now, for the very first time in his ministry, openly to the entire watching world, receives their praise and acknowledges, I am. The king who was to come. But now, some of our old friends, the Pharisees. And by the way, we need a few more of those for the Christmas special. Any takers? Don't make me come and choose you. I know who you are. I know who you are. But we do need a few more for the Christmas special. Some of you would fit perfectly right in that spot. I'm only kidding. It's called acting, so you'd have to act really grumpy as a Pharisee. 
because we need you for the Hosanna scene. See, this is the scene in the Christmas festival that we're going to use. We're going to sh- come in and do the Hosanna scene, and then we're going to have some Pharisees walking across the state. I'm looking at one right now. They're going to walk across with great disgust, and they're going to be looking at all the people shouting and praising Jesus with great disgust. And this is, this, this is what's happening. This is what's being read now, and this is what was lived out on that day, and we'll do it in the special, okay? Some Pharisees said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples, teacher. Why? You're not all that. You know know that it's blasphemy to receive worship that is only worthy of God. Tell them to stop. And he won't this time. Before he told them from the beach, tell no one anything. Why is it time now? His hour had come. Remember in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4? Time was pregnant. And so was Mary. And she gave birth to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? The fullness of time. Now it's the fullness of that hour. Every hour of his life led up to that hour. And that hour now has come. God's timetable is perfect. And now he will get these Pharisees so angry that they will fulfill God's prophecy that in just a few days on Good Friday, they will pierce his hands and his feet and nail him to a wooden cross. Get in the minds and the hearts of the Pharisees. Listen to what they say, but we have to go to John. We have to sometimes bring in other passages, so we go to John. Let's see what it says in John. We don't have this in Luke, so we want to give it to you. 1147 and 48, then the chief priests, notice what they say, and the Pharisees called a meeting. So, 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 so stay with me. They call a meeting, right? He comes in. They call, listen, we got to get this, this. This guy's killing us. we got to do something. We tried to kill him a few times. Can't do it. Why couldn't they kill him? He says, no one takes my life from me. They couldn't kill him on Good Friday. He laid his life down. He submitted to the will of the Father for you. So here's what they say. We are, what are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on, listen, if we let him go on like this, everyone in in Israel is going to believe in him. Then what's going to happen? Then the Romans are going to come. They're going to take away both the temple and the nation. This guy's got to go. And go he did. On God's perfect timetable, fulfilling God's perfect plan and purpose, they being fully responsible for their sinful and wicked acts. The crowd rejoices, and the chief priests rebuke. Okay, you ready? Now we're going to go out into a little deeper water. Let our nets down for even a bigger catch. Jesus' reply. We're going to go down this road because it's not Palm Sunday and we have a little different focus this week, so we're going to look at his response. You ready? Luke 19, 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. All right, what's going on? Well, there's a lot of things we could say, right? Stones are part of creation, and we could say that all creation bows to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know in Romans that even creation groans, right? The fall of man, everything has fallen. But what is he talking about? We've got we to go deeper. We gotta go, that's not enough. What, what, 
What, what are these? If, if I tell you, he, if, if they, who are they? Keep quiet. Those are the people. So, so stay with me. They're shouting the praises of Jesus. But he says, if they keep quiet, what does he know is coming? Good Friday. They will keep quiet. They will actually shout just the opposite. And he says, if they keep quiet, these stones, what stones? Well, we've got some options. Lots of stones in Israel. Commonwealth of Israel is loaded with stones. You go to the wilderness, you go into the desert. It's not a desert of sand. It's a desert of stone. But now we're going to go deeper. Stones mean a lot to the Jew, to Judaism in Israel. Yes, we go all the way back to the beginning of the history and we understand the great importance of stones. Remember, covenants were made and stones were there to be used as what? Reminders. So we have Laban and Jacob who make a covenant and they make a little, a little altar of stones as a reminder, a pillar of stones. Remember, the Ten Commandments were, were, were written on two tablets of stone. Moses took the, the staff and he hit the stone, the rock, and, and water came out. We have Abraham who is offering Isaac on, on the stone altar. So we see this incredible importance of stones, but there's, there's got to be more, got to be more. What else is going on? Stones were significant for this primary reason. They testified to truth. Back in the ancient world, you would divide your land up, my land and your land, Santos. We would divide it up, and we would put stones on the ground that would mark our lines. And your land would come to the stone and stop, and my land would come to the stones. And those stones testified to the truth of the geography of our land. So stones were important to the nation of Israel. Now Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives, what do we have? We have the Garden of Gethsemane. Everyone remembers that. But what else do we have in the guard, uh, on, on the Mount of Olives? We have the oldest historical cemetery in Israel. 3,000 years old today with over 150,000 marked graves. He's coming down the slopes and on his left is the cemetery. Take a look at this picture. Do you... How do you mark graves in the ancient world? And you have to stay at least four feet away or you would be ceremonially unclean if you got near a dead body. So you piled up stones in order to mark the graves. But that's not all. There's something else that took place. If you went to visit a loved one, you would bring a stone or a pebble. That's a, that's a, that's a, a tradition that's used even to today. You go to a Jewish cemetery, you don't see flowers. you know why? The grass withers and the flowers... Fade. Flowers are a picture of the brevity of life. What's a stone a picture of? Permanence. Permanence and stability. The permanence of your memory and your legacy in my heart, so I leave a stone or a pebble on your gravesite. Stay with me. So Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives and they're singing his praises. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I say to you, if they speak not, these stones, these pebbles, these stones that mark the graves of those who are mine will cry out. Now, I know what you're thinking, just like they did last night and just like they did at 9 a.m. Where did you get that from? I didn't make it up. I'm going to show you where I got it from. 
Are you ready for this? I want you to take a look at this passage. Matthew 27, 50 and 53. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the ghost. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Beloved, in the Lord, do you know what you just read? Jesus coming down out of the Mount of Olives and the cemetery on his left, and he points to the stones and said they will cry out. On the days of his resurrection, they cried out. Those stones, living stones, as Peter tells us, came out of those graves went down the same path, down the slope of the Mount of Olives, and into the city of Jerusalem and did what? Cried out and said, Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. Those stones cried out. You know what we call this? This is the first ever in recorded history by the Lord Jesus Christ. You ready for this? The rock concert. Never has there been one recorded in history before this. And we have a... So people then come to me and say, Pastor, what happened to those people? I don't know. And I'm not engaged in the imagination of man. The scripture doesn't tell us we don't need to know. One of two things. They died later and will be resurrected on the final day. Or they had resurrected bodies and they went to be with the Lord after they presented themselves in Jerusalem. It's not the point. The point is the stones, the living stones, cried out. The first rock concert the world has ever seen. And that concert still goes on today. You with me? How do we close? The ultimate rock concert. This is the ultimate rock concert There will never be another like it. And it is still going today. For today is still a day of salvation. Are you ready? Matthew 28, 2. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat. Did that stone cry out? What? Jesus had a resurrected body. He came into the upper room on the first Easter night. Somehow came through the walls. Why was the stone rolled away? It wasn't for Jesus to get out. But it was for you and I to go in. And when Mary went in, what did she see? The grave clothes. The living ark of the Lord Jesus Christ and the angel said, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. That's, beloved, that stone still cries out today. The stones at his wilderness experience tell of his perseverance. The stones at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem tell of his passion. 
And that stone that sealed this tomb tells of his power. That stone has been crying out ever since. What is your response? Jesus said, if they are quiet, the stones will cry out. And they have and they do to this day. You are living stones built up to the spiritual house of God. Do you cry out the name of Jesus? Do you share him with those who you come in contact with? If you have never bowed the knee, surrendered to Christ, that stone is calling you by name. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is what? Rock. And that rock cries out to you right now and says, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you come to Christ? By grace, through faith. This is not a man-centered work. You don't in your own strength and power decide to come to Christ, but your heart is stirred unto zeal for the things of God. And by grace, through faith. Your heart is being changed right now. And Jesus is speaking to you. Will you come to Christ and be saved this day? Later today it may be too late. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Now is a moment of salvation. Come to the ultimate living stone. The first fruits who rose from the dead and sits right now at the right hand of God the Father, calling you to come. Let's pray. Father, the power of the gospel overwhelms us. Surely this was not the imagination of man to write these 66 books and to put them together. This came from one mind, the mind of God, with one truth, One single strand of truth that runs through all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God's unfolding plan of redemption that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The King has come. May that be the truth of everyone who hears my voice today. Come to Christ. Put your doing down. And trust in Christ alone. And for the rest, many who've walked for decades, help us to continue to walk by faith and not by sight. Trusting in Christ alone. And for all this, we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you all stand as we continue our worship? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, 
purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood, perfect submission, all is at rest, I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His good. in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day.
Thank you, praise team. Oh, 